Turn in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is where we are. Kids, you're dismissed to go to your uh, classrooms. And we, as we study together, are in the book of Proverbs together. We've been looking at this book and we're calling our series, God's Wisdom for Gospel Living. Wisdom, we said, is that godly ability to choose the right course of action, uh, particularly where the law of God or the moral standard of God is not directly defined for us. And if we're honest, we said that the vast majority of life situations involve something that's not black and white, crystal clear in Scripture. Where do you work? Who do you marry? And all those kind of things. And what we've been saying all along is that this, this wisdom, this ability to walk in the ways of God has a focus, has a goal. And we said we walk in wisdom, it will be expressed, it will be seen as we humbly live a life on mission, that means declaring and demonstrating the gospel and the treasuring of Jesus Christ. Humbly living a life, declaring, talking, sharing, and demonstrating, loving others, pointing to Jesus, the treasuring that God is enough in our life. And at this point in our study, we're looking at the Proverbs proper, which began in chapter 10. And what they are is truisms, they're axioms, they're sayings that may not be or may not come to reality in our lifetime as the way we ought to live, but one thing we can be sure is that they will be ultimately true. Because Proverbs is not just ancient sayings handed down by man, they have been divinely given. All Scripture is breathed out by God, the Apostle tells us. So as we tackle this book, we're going to look at it more topically. Um, what we'll do is we'll go to Proverbs. We're looking over themes and what Proverbs has to say about certain themes of the Bible. And then we're looking at those themes and rather going to the Bible with our own theme, we're looking at Proverbs and let it speak to us. Last week or two weeks ago, we looked at the theme and uh, what Proverbs talks about in Friendships. What does it mean to be a true friend? Last week, Chris Cajano did a great job uh, talking to us about what Proverbs has to say about pride. Okay? About pride. This week, the topic that we're dealing with is anger. None of you deal with anger, I know. Sarcasm if you're slow. So as we talk about anger, I'm hoping to push a little bit so that you get angry with me, actually. That's okay. I, I can handle it. So we're going to look under anger at least, should I say, three ways today, right? So three headings for anger. Number one, the truth about anger. We need to deal with the truth. What, is, what can we say about anger? Number two, the twist, distortion in our anger. And three, the treatment of anger. Because I don't want to leave you angry with me. Uh, so we want to bring healing. So we'll talk about the truth, the twist, and our treatment. Okay, that's the direction we're going. Number one, the truth about our anger. One of the things we love to do here at King's Chapel is when we begin to look through books of the Bible, we do a lot of research on context. We studied First Peter together. We saw that those were letters that were written to different churches in Pontus and Galatia and Asia. 
As we read that, we looked at the context, we said that the letter was written to these churches that were suffering. Fifteen times the word uh, uh, is referred to, the church's suffering. Uh, eight different Greek words to talk about how this persecuted church is to press on for the gospel. When we studied 1 Corinthians, we saw that Corinth was a city that was a popular city. It was second to Rome or maybe Alexandria. And it was a, 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 a metropolitan leading city in that day. And there were temple worships. There was, there was um, a dissension among the, the people in church. They were abusive of spiritual gifts. They abused spiritual gifts. Dissensions, abuse of spiritual gifts, immorality in the church. Some of you thinking, I know that church, but we're talking about 1 Corinthians. Um, so, and, and we need to know stuff like that. Corinth was a place of the Isthmus Games. It was second to the Olympics. And Paul draws in illustrations from the games to teach the gospel. It's important stuff, especially if we want to interpret correctly. But what I want to tell you and I want to point out this morning to you is that knowing the changing cultures, the different cultures of Scripture, it's good, it's necessary... But there are some things that just never change. There's some things that just never change. No matter the year, no matter the location, no matter the ethnicity, no matter the culture, some things never change. Anger is one of them. Just listen to these Proverbs. Proverbs 14, 29. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who who has a hasty temper exalts folly. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A hot-tempered man, this is Proverbs 15.18, a hot-tempered man or woman stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contentions. Proverbs 16.32, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. The problems that we deal with today, the hard issues of today are really the same hard issues from the very beginning of time. We don't get very far in the book of Genesis. We get to chapter 4. There's Cain and Abel. They, They make an offering to the Lord. The Lord accepts one and doesn't accept the other. He accepts Abel, but not Cain. And Cain, we says in chapter 4, verse 5, was very angry. Genesis 4, very angry, and his face fell, his countenance fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? And why, are, why is your face fallen? If you do well, the Lord talking to Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? Think about it. Don't go that direction, he says. But if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Well, you know what happened. His anger was not kept in check. His anger was full-blown, and he murders his brother, Abel. We can have change in politics. We can have change in education. Changes in technology. One thing we know, one thing we know for sure, is that sinful anger doesn't change. It always destroys. Notice I said sinful anger. Because there is, the truth is that there is an anger that is sinful, but there is an anger that is not sinful. 
You know, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, Paul tells the church of Ephesus that to be angry and do not sin. Be angry, don't sin, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Now, the phrase be angry and do not sin is in the present imperative in in the Greek text. It's commanding a continuing action. Continually be angry. One early church father wrote this. He that is angry without cause sins. But he who is not angry when there is cause sins. For unreasonable patience is the hotbed of many vices. It fosters negligence and incites not only the wicked but the good to do wrong. Paul said this abiding, settled attitude and righteous indignation against sin, against sinful things, is something we are commanded to do. Proverbs 16, 32. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Now, the scripture has a lot to say about unrighteous anger. We're going to go there. But notice just a couple of things here. The first thing we need to know, very important, is anger, whatever anger, should be slow going. Right? You want to mark that down. Slow going. It says right here, slow anger, whoever's slow to anger. Now, I say that not simply because that's what Proverbs teaches us. That's true. But the reason that's true is because that is who God is. God is slow to anger. During the redemptive story, if you read in Genesis, Exodus, excuse me, and, and, and Deuteronomy, God calls Moses out of Egypt, right, and the people, against, you know, the, the, the Egyptian slavery. God takes Moses and brings him to Mount Sinai where he's giving him the law. And Moses says, show me your glory, Lord. Show me your glory. And God's like, listen, if I show you my glory, you're going to melt. You, you'll never be able to stand my glory. You cannot do that and live. But go in the cleft of the rock. I will pass by you. I will give you a glimpse of my glory. I'll remove my hands so that you see the back of me. And I will proclaim who I am, my name to you. And you know what? You know what God does? God says this. God puts him in the cleft. God removes his hand. And then God says this. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger. He's declaring who he is. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousand. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. The Lord, the Lord is merciful and slow in his anger. You know what Moses does, it says next? He fell down and bowed his head and worshiped the Lord. Aren't you glad God is slow in his anger. Aren't you glad that God is slow in his anger? Some of you are like, amen, absolutely. Some of you, though, may be thinking, why is God angry? Maybe some of you thinking, you know what, when I think about God, I think love, I think acceptance and forgiveness, not anger. God angry? Really? And the reason you think that way is because the God you are thinking about is the God of your own thought life. You made him up. He's in your imagination. He is not the God who's revealed himself in his word to us. 
Some of you have a false understanding and you tell yourself that God is this, this Santa Claus in heaven giving out lollipops to his children. Some of you have a false understanding in your own imagination that God is up in heaven and he's, in, he's just this blistering old man who, who you know, didn't get a nap and wants to beat me every chance he gets. Listen, God gets angry. It's a settled, unchanging anger and wrath when his character is violated, when we disrespect and we disobey him. He is just, he is righteous, he is holy. And when we rebel against him and disrespect and dishonor him, he gets angry. He even gets angry if you read in 2 Kings, at his own people for following false idols. And right before he sends them into exiles, he's like, I told you, stop chasing false idols. You're destroying yourself. You're destroying community. You're destroying the display of my glory among you. Stop. They would not listen. And it says in 2 Kings 17, therefore the Lord God was very angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, some of you are thinking, that's Old Testament. God just seems like he's not having it in the Old Testament. It's just every time we read it, somebody's sapping into something. You know what I mean? Well, Mark 3, Jesus enters the synagogue. He looks at these religious Bible thumpers who were watching him. Is he going to heal on the Sabbath? This is no work day. And he takes this man with a withered hand, and he brings him over, and he says to the, to the religious leaders, is it okay that on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to, to, to kill or to, or to give life? Is it okay? He knows they were trying to trap him. But they were like, I'm not saying nothing. There's just silence. Like, oh, I know there's a trap. You know, I ain't going to say nothing, right? So Jesus goes on. He looked around, it says in the Bible, he looked around at them with anger. He was grieved at their hardness of their hearts and said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man was healed. Jesus was just a little infuriated, right? When he walks into the temple and he finds these money changers and these, and these uh, people selling uh, animals and sacrificial animals in the court of the Gentiles. And, and the Bible says that he made whip of cords and drove them out of the temple. And he poured out the coins. Uh, he poured out the coins of the money changers. He's just throwing money around and overturned their tables. There's not plastic tables from Lowe's. These are metal, wood, I mean, excuse, hard wooden tables. And drove them out. He's throwing chairs, it says. Right? So some of you have this idea that Jesus is this, you know, hippie from 1960s with a little dandelion in his ear. Read that verse. You say, no, 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 no. Really? I mean, God expressing and displaying anger? Yes, Jesus, completely given over to the Father's will, got angry. While people, when people opposed his Father's will. You say, no, 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 no. I know, I know God is love. I know somewhere in the Bible it says God by his very nature is love. It says it all over the Bible. First John 4, 16, God is love. Very simple. But God is also holy, just and angry at rebellion and sin. If God were not angry towards sin and evil, listen, he would not be worthy of our song, of our worship, of our adoration, and of us following him. Why? I'll tell you why. Because love is tied to anger. Love is tied to anger. Some people say, how could God be angry if God is a loving God? I would say, how could a loving God not be angry? 
If someone you love and you see harm, does it not invoke anger? You get angry at sin, at brokenness? How much more of our creator God who looks down at evil and brokenness and sees shootings that, that, are, that are unjustified? He sees uh, uh, people getting hurt and thinking, I made you, I love you, look what you're doing. Love is tied to anger. Some say, well, I, I can't see how you can be angry and be loving at the same time. You're not married. That's all I got to say. Okay? Because if you are, you know that you can love someone that you are angry with. Right? If you don't get angry, it means, quite honestly, you don't love anything. The truth is a failure to love. If God sat back and watched little girls get hurt, if he watched all the shooting going on, if he watched all this evil in the world, he goes, ah, just another day on planet Earth, what kind of God would he be? What kind of God would he be? The reason we can't grasp that is we can't understand and we need to that God is both loving and angry. It's tied to his love. That is why all anger is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. Anger is a natural response, and many times, to threats to things in which we love. And as a result, sometimes that, that, that emotion, that, that pushing forward, appropriately defends people, helps others when you see anger, right? When you find out what you're angry about, or angry in, many times it will reveal to you what you love and you care about most in this life. Okay? So if I'm driving on a throughway and I'm headed, you know, south, and I see a guy, and I know all of you have seen this at least one time, hopefully it's not you, and they're driving erratically and it seems like they're really harassing someone in a vehicle. You know, they're coming up behind them and going, right, no, just being a, a complete jerk, right? That makes me mad. Somebody can get hurt. But if I come up close to that car and I find out it's my wife in that car or my daughter's in that car, that's a different story, right? So what you're tied to, the greater the anger, the greater the love many times. Little love, little threat. The only one that doesn't seem to feel anger is Spock. He'd be the only one, right? When we see people injured, God sees people injured and exploited, justice Angry, anger, and, and, and a thrust toward justice is appropriate. Many of you know Rob Morris. Rob Morris is the founder and uh, president, I think they call him, of Love 146. He was so infuriated when he went overseas and saw these five and six-year-old children being exploited in the sex trade trafficking that it made his stomach sick with an anger and propelled him to start Love 146 to try to get these kids out of that crazy and disgusting sin. So the truth is that anger has been around since the beginning. Our good and holy and righteous God has anger because he loves us. And we, like God, can have anger too. If who and what we love is threatened and it motivates us to work toward God-honoring, God-treasuring, God's will, God's justice, it's, it's proper. Now, before you get really excited and say, the passage just told me that, you know, I, I, I cursed out that dude at the prize shop. It must be okay. That's not what I'm saying. Right? It was like, you know, I gave that dude the finger. He deserved it. Unfortunately, much of our anger is not righteous. Much of our anger is unrighteous. You're welcome. I'm, I'm glad you asked, but that's the truth. 
It's not about honoring God and doing justice. It's rare that one's anger is purely justified. Look what James says. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man, that's the twisted anger of man, does not produce the righteousness of God. So although we are commanded to be angry because that's part of the Imago Dei, the image and likeness of God, many times it's twisted. It's not righteous. Proverbs 16, 32. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. So anger must be slow. It needs to be ruled over, kept in check. In fact, he says conquering cities in comparison to the explosive anger it's easy play, it's child play, it's, it's nothing. Because you could take a city, a couple of days, a couple of weeks even, say a couple of months, but uncontrolled anger, explosive anger, takes a lifetime in many cases. Proverbs fourteen twenty nine. A patient man has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man displays stupidity. Folly, same thing. 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger, and a hot-tempered man stirs up strife. But he who is slow to anger quiets contentions. What we see here is that fundamental gospel truth. Whatever kind of anger we are allowed and commanded to be, it must be slow-going anger, just like God. We see it all over the scripture. To rule over your anger and not to be ruled by your anger. To be quick to deal with your anger appropriately, as Paul says. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity for the devil. But if we're honest, many of us have a short fuse. Many of us have a short fuse and we explode. We have explosive anger. Or some of us may be dealing with suppressed and stuffed anger. Explosive and suppressed anger. Okay? Let let me illustrate to you what I mean through this short video. Hit the lights. I got no leg room back here. Move your seat forward. It's as far as it goes. There's a mechanism. You just pull it and throw your body weight. I pulled it. It doesn't go. If you want the leg room, say you want the leg room. Don't blame the mechanism. All right, Dad, we're five blocks from the house. Sit sideways. Like an animal. Because of her, I have to sit here like an animal. Serenity now! Serenity now! What is that? Doctor gave me a relaxation cassette. When my blood pressure gets too high, the man on the tape tells me to say, Serenity now! Are you supposed to yell it? The man on the tape wasn't specific. What happened to the screen door? It blew off again? I told you to fix that thing. Serenity, no! George, here, have a seat. Where's Hanky? Okay, let's get started. Welcome to Rageaholics Anonymous. What? Rageaholics? George, this can help you. Hey, I am not here for rage. I'm here for revenge. Excuse me. We have a no-yelling policy at these meetings. Excuse me. Am I talking to you, Pinhead? Am I? Please don't call me Pinhead. I'm losing it! You took you to Rageaholics? Why? Probably because this whole universe is against me. You got a little rage. I know. And now they want me to bottle it up. It makes me so mad! Figured we'd show some... some... comedy on such a hard lesson to learn. Proverbs 14, 29. 
Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Verse 30. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Again, part of our Imago day. So to make believe, to suppress, to make believe I'm not angry, to deny anger, or to say, you know what, I'm a Christian. I'm not supposed to be angry, or even worse, I think I'll suppress and, 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 and press down and not deal with my anger because of the pain it may cause due to the one who has hurt me and caused this anger. That's not what God commands us to do. Psychologists will tell you that suppressed anger can be an underlying cause of bitterness, anxiety, and depression, and the cause of many broken relationships. Suppressing anger will affect your thinking, your behavior, and even create a variety of physical problems. That's why it says, uh, a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh. It, It could cause high blood pressure, heart problems, headaches, stomach issues, and even fatigue. Remember, Paul says, be angry, but do not sin. So, so keeping silent about your anger and suffering it is not good, but either is explosive anger. Look at Proverbs 29, 11. Fools give full vent to their rage. Fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise man, the wise woman, bring calm in the end. Many a women, many a children who live in fear of an angry husband, an angry father. You know if you have an employee who has outbursts of anger what it's like to live in that environment. Ask a waitress or a waiter or anyone who busts tables, works tables about anger, they'll be glad to tell you all about it. Domestic abuse, verbal and physical abuse are consequences of uncontrolled venting anger. How many times have you said things that are deeply hurtful to someone because of your anger? So the question bids us, why? What has gone wrong? We're supposed to have anger, but it's twisted. Why? I'm indebted to St. Augustine. I'm indebted to Larry Crabb, Dr. Tim Keller, who taught me much about what the Bible says about love and idolatry and identity and the realization that we are running after false things. So let me tell you what's wrong. St. Augustine had made this observation. He said, our problem is not love per se, but a disordered love, a, a twisted love. What he means is we are commanded, the Bible says, to love the Lord God with all our hearts, with all our souls, minds, and strength. Everything within us, every breath we have, we are to love him and love our neighbor as ourself. But the truth is, none of us, none of us love God first and foremost in that way. Above all other loves, and because of that, because we don't love him first and foremost, our love becomes distorted and twisted. We love other things more than God, and our love is not in proper order. Um, Exodus, Ten Commandments, love the Lord thy God, right? Have no other God before him. That, that's, what, that's what the command is. Have no other treasure, no other greater love than the Lord, the one who created you and redeemed you. So now listen, you need to catch this. If it is true, and I believe it is, that love is tied to our anger, and I think we made that case, then we will not only have a disordered kind of love, but since love and anger are tied together, we have a disordered kind of anger. 
Because our love is not first and foremost, our creator who created us, loved us, died for us, rose for us, and redeemed us, our love is disordered. Our anger, because it's tied to love, will also be disordered. So we have to ask ourselves this question when we are angry. What do I get angry at? If we are honest, most of the time the thing we are loving that has taken the place of God, our ultimate love, and the anger we have is simply the result of that idol, that thing that's taken the place of God is being threatened. An idol, if you never heard me say this, let me just tell you, you may think, you know, this wooden figure, that's not what I'm saying. An idol is anything that is central in your life, essential in your life. You depend on it. You can't live without it. You have to have it in order to live life. Idols tell you that power. Idols tell you that money, a wife, a husband, a house, an education, a certain figure, kids, good kids, my health. If I have those things, or one of those things, I have meaning and purpose and value. And what we do is we turn the good things Though some of those things are great things, we turn good things, ultimate things, into idle things, and we love them more than our Creator. We don't just love them as a gift from God and enjoy them, but we look to certain things to give us the happiness, the value, the security, and self-worth that only God can give us. Listen, God alone is the only one that can give you the significance that your heart is longing for, the meaning, the value, the purpose in life. God alone is the only one that can give you security, the security that your heart longs for, to rest in his unconditional love and acceptance through the gospel. And when we turn good things, when we love good things too much, more than God, then our emotions, particularly our anger, gets twisted and gets disordered, distorted. So if you're angry, ask yourself the question, Is there something too important to me and that is why I'm angry? Is it because someone or something is blocking me from having something that I believe that I need in order to feel secure? Ask yourself, what am I seeking now? What am I really pursuing and not got? Is this pursuit really a disordered love? Let me give you an illustration. Guys, we, we, we like to be respected. You read those books, you know, women love, men respect, and this whole thing about women and, and difference between men, women and men. So I'm going to run with that for a moment. If I make it my goal, if I make it my life's purpose, if, if I need the respect from my wife in order for me to feel, to sense, to know that I'm valued and secure and worthwhile as a person, and it doesn't happen or it's withheld from me, If at that moment I'm secure in the arms of the gospel, I'm going to be a little angry and irritated because it's good to be respected by my spouse. But when I needed to survive, when I needed to know that I'm secure and valued as a person and I don't get it, boom. Boom. You see, when our idols are threatened, we get enraged. It shows us that we have unjustified anger. Something's not right. There's something I'm pursuing. It's good and right to feel hurt and to have some anger, but that explosive, that repressive anger that keeps stirring in our hearts is pointing to something more going on in our life. Right? So if, if, I, if I need to have good kids and they, and they go off the deep end and I just disintegrate, 
They become my idols. If I need to have a certain portfolio, a certain crowd, a certain response to feel significant and secure, I will be destroyed. There's a difference between being hurt and being angry and to be disintegrated and explosive. That many times points to what our idols are. So things should hurt. Kids going astray hurt. But they will not destroy. The level of your anger many times reveal if you have an idol or not. And when something gets in the middle of that idol, it's overwhelming. And you can't even see straight. Look at Proverbs 14, 29. Whoever is slow to anger, there's something in that way, huh? Let me do that again, see if it comes up. 1429, I don't know what that is. Okay, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. I mean, think about for that minute. How many times have you said and did something in anger, said words, did action, and you thought when everything was calmed down, what do you feel like? An idiot. So a, a fool. It, it, it kind of just makes your whole life twisted. It kind of makes your whole way of thinking twisted. It's disordered. You make stupid decisions and your ability to walk in wisdom is, is thrown out the window. I mean, look at Jonah. You know, Jonah, you know the story, right? I mean, he's just a blatant, self-centered idolatrist and he got a real serious anger problem. He really does. You know the story. He's, God called him and said, listen, go to Nineveh, right? And preach against the city, and I will have repent. I will not repent, but I will have mercy upon them. He like, I'm not going there, and he runs away. You know the story. He gets swallowed up by a giant uh, uh, fish and spit out onto the uh, beach. Finally, reluctantly, he goes there, and he and and the whole city repents. You would think he'd go unbelievable. Look at all these people coming to Jesus. You know, not him. He gets angry. He runs away like a little angry teenage brat, right? Jonah 4.1. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry that they had repented and God did not destroy them. And he prayed, oh Lord, listen to these words. Is not this what I said when I was yet in the country? That is why I went and flee to Tarshish. I know, and I knew that you are a gracious God, a merciful, listen, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, take my life. I want to die. It's better for me to you to just kill me right here. And the Lord said to him, I wish I was there. Do you really do well being angry? Like, how's it working out for you? But the truth is, Jonah's anger was because he was selfish. He was bitter. He refused to see life and the situation from God's perspective. He was so mad at the end of the chapter that, that you remember the story of the vine? God caused this vine to grow to give him shade and then God takes the vine and he just blows up again. Think about that. Thousands upon thousands can go to hell for all eternity, but how dare you take that vine that was covering me? I mean, even make it grow. I mean, that's how distorted and twisted he became. Right, you get this superiority, this, this, this I, you know, I can't get into Jonah's mind why he did that, but I know one thing. You know, he wasn't living life intended the way God wanted him to, right? Maybe he thought he was self-righteous and they should all go to hell. That's probably what it was. He probably was thinking, you know what? Those Ninevites are no good, dirty scoundrels. You should burn them. Not thinking, oh my word, I'm a rotten, dirty scoundrel myself. You should burn me. It's quick to look at other people, right? Then you get angry because it's all about me. That's what anger does. It, 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 it focuses 
self. Anger distorts, listen, how you see life. It twists your hearts, makes you see things very distorted, very distorted. And therefore, your wisdom, the skill to live life in the way in which God intended, treasuring Christ, demonstrating, declaring the gospel, again, goes out the window. So what do we do? First thing we need to do, A, is confess your anger. Don't stuff it. Without first understanding and and responding in a way that's honest, there can be no healing. Because unconfessed sin, anger, and just brokenness, and just this this idea that I have not have any, you know, I, I really don't have any anger, causes bitterness. The, the proverb says it causes strife. You know what it does? It drives a wedge between you and God. And because of your bitterness, it drives a wedge between you and others. Actually, to reconcile with family, with friends, when you're angry is, is, is impossible. It may or may not happen, but your anger will definitely deny it happening. Nothing kills and destroys and disintegrates community faster than anger. We throw, we throw words around like bombs. And then we get bitter and relationships deteriorate. Look what it says in Hebrews 12. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness, that's, that's anger being pressed in, becomes the root of bitterness, and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Dr. Keller likes to say the problem with creating a root of bitterness is that roots become shoots. Shoots become trees, trees become forests. That's how bitterness works. That's how bitterness works. Confessing what God already knows is vital and true. Confess it. Accept the fact of your anger. Maybe you need a friend. Maybe you need to talk to somebody and say, hey, you know, this is what's going on in my life. Am, am I really on edge? Am I angry? I mean, even Seinfeld questioned George, right? He's got a lot of anger, he says. He tells him right there in the coffee shop. You know, maybe you need a friend. We talked about friendships, right? But the thing about it is, in order to... In order to admit it, in order to confess your anger, there's vulnerability. There's weakness. Chris Cajano talked about it last week. Our pride gets in the way. Right, doesn't it? Our pride gets in the way. And, and, and it doesn't come naturally. It's got to be the work of God because you need to first confess your anger. Next, consider your heart. Consider your heart. So confess your, uh, your anger and consider your heart. God says, love me above all things. Love me and the love that you have for me will flow to others. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Check your heart. Is your first and primary love of Christ and his kingdom? Anger is justified if it's over my primary love of God and the worship of God and his kingdom. If we seek the kingdom first, your anger may reflect God's anger and reflect the things that Jesus gets angry about. God gets angry when the poor are taken advantage of. God gets angry when creation is defaced. God gets angry with injustice. All right, so, so the taking of innocent lives, through, whether it's through abortion or through a killing. Families are destroyed through sin and immorality. It's proper. But before we jump and we say, oh, I must be justified in my anger. Everything, I, everything I'm angry about is, is absolutely just. Here's some questions. Maybe we'll put this up in the blog or somewhere. Is my anger really about my selfish ego? Am I trying to play God who alone is sovereign? Some people like to be God. It's a tough job. You'll get angry about it. If my anger really reflective of the very heart of God, 
or because someone's getting in the way of my sinful idol? Is this anger due to a distorted and twisted love? It's a good question. Is my action, listen to this, due to my anger in line with biblical principles? Is my response to the anger, you know, proper? Does it, does it reflect wisdom of God? Does it reflect and line up with living a humble life, demonstrating and declaring the gospel, the treasuring of Christ? Great questions. Ask yourself. And check this out. Slow-going anger will give you time to think through these questions. Slow-going anger will make you reflect on some of this stuff. And I will tell you, and this is for free too, most of your anger is that. Most of my anger is that. It's egos. It's, it's clinging to idols. It's defending a, 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 a self-esteem or, or, or what people think and see about me that I don't need to defend. So we need to confess, we need to consider, and finally, we need to confirm the gospel. Proverbs 19, 11, look what it says. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. So the Proverbs shows us that we are not only to forego our anger, but we are to be quick to forgive others. We are to rule over our hearts and not seek revenge. And the word here, glory, is, is, a, is, is a word that means beauty or adornment. So what the proverb is saying, it is the adornment of someone to, to overlook, to pass along, to oversee, or to, to forgive, really, what he's trying to say, an offense. It's an adornment to look, and it's an adornment to forgive an offense. And in this ability, the proverb to do that, to forgive, the wise man or the wise woman reflects the glory of Israel. Look at Micah. I love this verse. I'm going to do some more study on this while, uh, this week. But Micah 7.18 talks about God's anger, that we ought to reflect his anger, right? So we, we ought to consider and then we ought to look at, at God. Look at Ma- Ma- Micah 7.18. Who is God like you? Pardoning iniquity Passing over, that's the same word here, overlook. This is God, he's passing over, he's overlooking transgressions for the remnant, the people of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. (laughs) Follow me now. One, one last thing. I want to show you one last verse. Look at this verse. We're talking about confessing. We're talking about forgiving. We're talking about controlling our anger. We're talking about vulnerability. How can we properly consider our idols, look at them, tear them down, treat our anger properly through the gospel? Ephesians 4.31. Look what it says. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. With all malice, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Sounds great. How? As God in Christ forgave you. How did that happen? As, in the same way. How has God forgiven me and how does that help me to put it away? Anger and, 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 and wrath. Look, it's the gospel. In the midst of a broken, jacked up, twisted world, God sends his only son to a smelly stable. And by the power of the Holy Spirit to a young virgin teenage girl becomes pregnant. He becomes vulnerable and he is hated. He encounters several angry people and angry mobs with all kinds of twisted anger and twisted, distorted love. Yet through it all, 
Jesus was on mission. He he obeyed the Father. He heard the call. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night in which he was crucified, he falls on his face and realizing that he will drink the cup of the anger and wrath of God for our sin. Take this cup, not my will but thine be done. All the ugly and angry words and deeds we have done fall on the back of Jesus Christ. And as he's being crucified, On a Roman cross, he does just what Proverbs 15 says. He speaks a soft word. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He created us, we rebel. He is justified in his anger, and he is faultless in his wrath toward us. But because he loves you, because he loves me, Jesus Christ goes to the cross and dies for our sins. And on the cross, Jesus absorbs the wrath, the anger of God against sin. You know that it's right to be angry about sin. And here on the cross, Jesus dies. The the whole earth becomes black and God sends forth his wrath and and anger and, and judgment against sin. And rather than falling on us, it falls on Jesus Christ on the cross. The one who doesn't deserve it, deserves it. The one who deserves it gets grace, gets mercy, and he extends his love and his mercy to us. Now, family, listen, if you see Jesus Christ, if you embrace the gospel, then you can honestly be vulnerable and embrace the truth about your disordered love and your twisted anger. Because the gospel is that Jesus took our twisted anger, our distorted love at the infinite cost of his own life. And if you allow that to press deeply into your heart, you will be overwhelmed by his love and you will have the ability and the power to forgive. So when people wrong you, say, yeah, I was wrong. But you know what? I've wronged God. And God has completely forgiven me at the infinite cost of his own son and now I can respond in the way in which God responded to me. And you know what happens? You're humbled. You don't have to defend your ego anymore. Your idols are all torn down. Your pride is put in check and your self-image becomes lost in God's unfathomable, unquestionable, eternal love and acceptance of you through Christ and the gospel. When you trust the gospel, you make his life your life. And as he lives in you and his life is in you, you will handle anger differently if we really believe that. Are you secure? Are you secure in him? Are you have purpose in him? Are you tearing down aisles? What is it really? The answer is, it's the gospel. It is the gospel. So yeah, we may get angry and we may propel us to work for justice. But we are able to be slow in our anger, healed and, 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 and uh, changed by the gospel and then move forward and not be this explosive, this repressive, but live in such a way that we deal with our anger righteously, rightly, not to pat ourselves, but to show forth the glory of Christ. That you know what? We're going to walk humbly before him, declaring and demonstrating the gospel and treasuring Christ above all treasures. Let's pray. Father, I don't think there's anyone in this room that can say, I have not dealt with anger. I don't think there's anyone in this room that's going to say, I'm never going to deal with it again.
But Lord, by your grace and through your mercy, help us. Help us to be slow to anger like you are. Help us to see the gospel. Help us to see the Lord Jesus Christ that all our folly, all our stupidity, all our unrighteous acts, disordered love and twisted anger was laid upon him. And through him, we have forgiveness. We have kindness. We have gentleness. So Father, we pray that you would do a great work in our hearts when we leave this place with our family, with our friends, with with life in general, that we would be angry, but it would not be explosive, suppressive. It will be righteous, but it would be controlled by the gospel. So Father, we ask that as we respond in this next song, Lord, you would get all the glory. And uh, Father, we pray that our hearts would be turned to you. And maybe this is the first time we ever heard about the gospel. And we pray, Lord, that we respond in repentance, a turning from, and faith in Jesus Christ.